We are back in the Gospel of John, so our scripture reading this afternoon is going to be John 15, verses 1 to 11, and you can find that on page 901 uh, in the Blue Pew Bibles. So here is the Gospel according to John, verses 1 through 11, and this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. Have a seat. Please join me in prayer before we come to this passage. Father in heaven, here at the outset uh, of a new year, after having come through the season of of Advent and of Christmas and of remembering, uh, years of waiting um, that were met with the fulfillment of your promise, Uh, this great gift uh, that you gave to humanity that you yourself sent your only son that you, Jesus, took on our flesh, took on our nature, were made man, and dwelt among us. And as John says, we beheld you full of grace and truth, wonder of wonders. Father, we pray um, that the wonder uh, of that season would not fade so quickly. Um, This can be a hard time of the year um, as the lights come down. Uh, and it's still dark outside. And, and I, and I, and I want to pray, Father, for any here um, who are just struggling a little bit uh, with the season, or more than a little bit, um, whether there are specific anxieties in the return to work and to, and to school, um, or where, whether simply the season, the darkness, uh, the cold, um, can feel like too much. Um, Father, we're reminded uh, that uh, the story that we are telling, the story that we're being told as we come to the, the Gospel of John, is, is, is of your light uh, shining into the darkness, and not just in a momentary flash, um, but shining into the darkness in a way that the darkness did not overcome it. Um, and we are grateful uh, to be back in this Gospel. We're, we're grateful uh, to be hearing the words of our Lord um, from his mouth. We're grateful to be walking alongside of him. Uh, with his disciples, um, even uh, as we know um, that he has turned his face toward the cross. Um, 
and that the hour that he called the hour of darkness uh, is, is fast approaching. Um, Father, would you prepare our hearts to hear this uh, in these next months? Um, we pray every week, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work uh, in and through your word. Um, and so I pray for all of us here uh, that in these next months, um, as we hear the words of Jesus, um, as he is uh, betrayed, handed over, uh, as he is crucified, um, as he rests in the grave, as he rises uh, from the dead. Um, Father, would you be at work in our hearts that this story uh, would hit us with, with new force, with new impact, um, that we would um, encounter you. Father, that, that some here might encounter you for the first time. Um, Father, would you reveal yourself to us uh, in your word uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I'm grateful um, for each person here. Thank you for the ways that you have gifted this church. Um, thank you for the ways that you have given us uh, to one another. Uh, we pray uh, in this new year um, that we would be able to um, love one another as you have commanded us to do. Um, it is your commandment to us. Help us to keep your commandments that our joy would be full. Father, as we take a look at this passage, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, I want to begin this afternoon with a question, actually with a few questions. <clears throat> so here's the first question. What do you think of when I say the word joy? What, 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 where do you experience joy? Uh, what comes to mind when I say joy? That's the first question. Second question, what do you think of when I say the word obedience? Where, where have you experienced obedience? What do you think of there? Here's the third, the third question. Um, how many of you, you don't have to put your hands up, this is just for you to think about. How many of you, when I said, what do you think of when I say joy? What do you think of when I say obedience? How many of you thought of the same thing in those two cases? Um, my guess, not a betting man, but if I were, I'd put the over-under on that at about zero, maybe a little higher than zero. Um, joy and obedience are not things that we tend to put together. Uh, we don't tend to think of those as being the same thing. We don't tend to connect them. Um, but in this passage that we just read, Jesus does. He connects joy and obedience. Um, and that's what I want us to think about this afternoon. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because we are jumping back into a series uh, that we haven't been in since uh, last spring, uh, early summer. Um, for the last uh, two years now, we started this two years ago, um, between Christmas and roughly Pentecost, uh, we have been looking at the Gospel of John. Uh, we've been going at about seven chapters per year, actually exactly. So we did one through seven two years ago, and then eight to 14, uh, and then this year um, we're going to finish the book. There's 21 chapters uh, all together. Um, let me give you a little recap, just to remind us of, of where we've come and get us up to speed as we, as we take a look at, at chapter 15. So first thing, um, we, we, we have said this a lot, and we're just going to keep saying it. Um, we know exactly why John wrote this book, 
okay? John, at the end, uh, almost the end, chapter 20, he tells us exactly why he has written. He says, I have written these things uh, in order that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that, that is why John wrote this book. That is why we are looking at it, in order that we might believe, and by believing, have life uh, in the name of Jesus. So in order to help us believe, uh, in the first 12 chapters of the book, John presented these seven signs, right? These seven uh, signs that Jesus did, turning water into wine, um, giving sight to the blind, raising Lazarus from the dead, these, these seven signs that he performs um, in order to demonstrate who he is, right? And along the way, he also reminds us of words that Jesus spoke, um, by which he tells us who he is, right? I'm thinking particularly of these sentences that begin with, I am, right? Um, I am the shepherd. I am the gate of the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, when he raises Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, he says, I am the bread of life. And I want to pause on that one for a second because um, this is in chapter 6. And when he says, I am the bread of life, he introduces a couple ideas that come back here in, in chapter 15. Um, remember, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And later, at the end of the chapter, he says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Um, and if you remember, uh, that was described as being a hard saying, uh, something that gave people pause. What in the world is this guy talking about? Um, remember, chapter 6 started with the feeding of the 5,000, so big crowd, right? And, and over the course of chapter 6, that crowd just gets smaller and smaller and smaller as Jesus keeps talking, and more and more people leave. And when he says this, it's basically down to the 12, right? And he looks at them and says, are you going to go too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Um, and when Peter says that, he's indicating that he's understanding something um, that Jesus is trying to communicate here in our passage this week. I want to remind you of one other thing that Jesus said about food, this time about his food. This is in chapter 4. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Um, tuck that away. That's also relevant to what he has to say. Uh, here in, in chapter 15. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, namely his father, and to accomplish his work. Um, chapter 15, verse 1, is actually the last of the I am statements when he says, I am the true vine. Um, why, does, why does he say true, the true vine? Um, vine imagery would have been really familiar uh, to these people um, in two ways. For one thing, Vines were, 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 were common. You see vines used in a lot of different illustrations in the Bible, and they don't all mean the same thing. Um, it's just, it's, it's kind of like, you know how we'll use sports in a lot of dis different illustrations that aren't all about the same thing, just because sports are so familiar that you can use them to say lots of things. It, vines are kind of like that. People knew what vines were. Um, however, there is one common theme 
you know, most of the vine images and examples in the Old Testament do actually say one thing, which is that Israel is the vine, and the vine has not been fruitful. Um, we actually read one of those passages. Psalm 80 was, was, was one of those. It shows up in Ezekiel, shows up in Isaiah. Um, usually, the focus is on how unfruitful Israel has been because they have failed in their calling to be a blessing to the nations. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, one of the things that he's saying is everything that Israel was meant to be is now being fulfilled in me, that I am what Israel was meant to be. I am finally that true vine that's going to bear much fruit. That's kind of what this passage is about. He's going to bear much fruit through his disciples who abide in him and bless the nations. Um, the last thing I want to remind you of from John uh, leading up to this point, of course, is that um, all of those I am statements um, add up to uh, a claim of divinity because I am, of course, is, is the name of God. Um, and just in these last few chapters, so these last couple chapters that we looked at um, are taking place at and just after the Last Supper. Um, and Jesus has really um, been talking a lot about his relationship uh, to the Father and to the Spirit. Um, because, of course, he's claiming not just to be any God, um, but to be a person of the triune God. Um, he told Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. That was chapter 14. And then, and then also in chapter 14, he comforted them. He said, I'm leaving. But he comforted them by saying that when he left, the Father would not leave them alone because the Father would give the Spirit. So in these last couple chapters, we've heard a lot about these three persons. And, and we've heard a lot about how these three are constantly glorifying one another all the time. Father glorifying Son and Son being glorified by the Spirit and all pointing back to the Father. But, but you do have to remember, um, uh, as we've said a lot in these last two years, for John, the word glory points above all to the cross. That, that if you want to see the glory of God displayed in the book of John, the primary place we're going to look um, is the cross, um, where God is revealed most fully as the kind of God that he is. Okay, so much for the recap, right? So we're, we're, we're now into this extended conversation. Um, Bradley and I were talking about this earlier. This is probably the longest single piece of dialogue, and it's almost a monologue, it's mostly Jesus, um, that takes place in just one place in time in, in all of Scripture. Um, chapters 13 to 17 are basically one conversation that takes place uh, on, on that night that he was betrayed. So we're picking up kind of in the, in the middle of that. Um, if you were here in October, John Minan, um, RUF minister at University of Vermont, uh, who was, was in this church, and, and we get to support him in that ministry now. Um, he preached a great sermon on this same passage, and I'm glad he did because there's more than two sermons worth of material here. Um, that was October 16th, and I recommend you go back and listen. He, he talked about um, the language here about the father pruning 
the vines that bear fruit, right? He, 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 he talked about how um, even in the lives of faithful Christians whose lives are bearing fruit, God is going to prune uh, and cut, and, and, and it will be painful um, in, in, in certain ways. Um, I'm going to focus <clears throat> on Jesus' language of abiding, Jesus' language of abiding in me. Um, about this, this picture of our union with him that gets at where we draw our life. Uh, and indeed, that gets at the only place that true life can be found. Um, here's what I want to unpack. In these, in these verses, okay, over the courses of verses 1 to 11, Jesus draws a connection between abiding in him, see that in verse 4, and kind of throughout, um, abiding in his love, in verse 9, um, his words abiding in us, right? And that has the sense not just of hearing and memorizing his words, but doing them, right? Um, so obedience to his commandments. And lastly, a connection between all of those things, abiding in him, abiding in his love, his words abiding in us, and joy, and an abundant joy, a joy that is full. I want you to notice, uh, just as we get into this, that everything he's talking about here is relational in nature, right? None of these things make sense um, in a... Um, a lone Christian context. Everything, everything only makes sense as we are connected uh, to Jesus and in him to one another. And it is going to introduce yet another question. I already asked what you think about when I say joy and what you think about when I say obedience. But maybe the, the biggest question for us to ask ourselves um, as we look at this passage is the question, um, where are you rooted The, um, the vine imagery is great for this, right? Um, because to abide in a vine means to be rooted uh, into a system, uh, to be rooted into something that is alive. Um, this word abide means to remain, to, to stay, to endure. Um, it has a sense of some real durability. Um, it's going to be a long run um, remaining. And I think this is one of the places where this, this passage and that image um, pushes hard uh, against what our culture tells us. Because um, our culture, you know, tends to tell us that we don't want to be rooted down anywhere too firmly, um, that that would constrain our freedom. Um, there's, a, there's a movie, this is at least 10 years old at this point, um, it's called Up in the Air. Uh, it stars George Clooney um, as this guy... He's on the road all the time. I think his job is to go and fire people for companies that don't want to do it themselves. So he's just going from place to place to place. And he literally just lives out of a suitcase. You know, his whole goal in life is to amass as many award points as he can on the airline and with the hotels. Um, but he's got this side gig as a motivational speaker. And in his motivational speech, he puts a backpack on a table. And he says, I want you to imagine that this backpack contains your life, right? So go ahead and start putting your stuff in there. Start with the small things, your keys, you know, your wallet. Now, now maybe something bigger, you know, a dresser. Now put your car in there. 
right? Now put in your house, right? He says, oh, starting to get pretty heavy, isn't it? And the whole point of his speech, of his motivational speech, is that you want to be as free from encumbrances as you possibly can. You don't want to be weighed down. Um, now, of course, the whole point of the movie is about how empty that is, right? The whole point of the movie is him learning. Um, you know, he finally reaches the, the million point threshold or whatever, and he's just miserable. Um, and he realizes that he needs people, and he needs relationships. Um, and yet, there is a certain allure that, that I think we all kind of feel uh, to be free and, and to not be rooted down um, anywhere. Jesus is pointing us towards something more substantial. He's pointing us towards the need uh, to abide in something lasting. Um, and something more lasting than a call to any particular job, house, location. Um, remember, this is the same God who sent Abraham out to a land I will tell you about later. Um, but there is a call to abide in a permanent sense in, in Christ and to be rooted in him. To abide in Jesus, what this means is to draw our life uh, from him. Uh, it means to understand what John says, uh, what John means when he says that in believing we have eternal life. Or better, what, what Jesus is going to say in chapter 17 uh, that to know God and to know Jesus, who the Father sent, is to have eternal life. That this is where life is found, in relationship to Christ. It's actually analogous to the way that Jesus describes his own relationship to the Father. He said earlier, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And he said in chapter 5, just like here he says, apart from me you can do nothing. In chapter 5, he said, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So there's this like mysterious way uh, in which there is an analogy between the way the father relates to the son and the way that we relate to Jesus. Um, now, like any analogy just keep reminding you, as soon as we see the similarity, uh, any analogy between a relationship within the Trinity and the relationship between us and God, as soon as we see that similarity, we're driven to see the even bigger difference, right? Because God is transcendent and so other. Um, and yet, in this mysterious way, we can somehow understand this relationship uh, to be like that. What does he say about abiding in him? He says that it is only uh, if we abide in him that we can bear much fruit. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me uh, you can do nothing. Um, it is really important to realize uh, the order of those things. Now, 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 the fruit here, based on the context and based on what he's talking about, the fruit has to do with obeying him, right? With having his words abide in us, with keeping his commandments. And uh, in the next set of verses that are, that are, that are coming, um, that Bradley's going to preach on next week, we're going to see um, that that commandment entails that we love one another. 
and even that we love one another the way that he loves us, laying his life down uh, for us. Um, but that's the fruit uh, that's in view here. It's, it's, it's keeping his commandments. It's, it's loving one another. Um, it's really important to realize that the order of things is that if we are rooted in him, if we abide in him, then we will produce fruit. Um, it's not the other way around. Um, again, this is, this is one of the things that Jesus used vines and trees uh, to, to illustrate. Um, in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, um, he says, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. He says, a healthy tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce healthy fruit. Um, you know if a tree is healthy um, by its fruit. But it would make no sense at all, like if you, if you were walking around with a basket of fruit and walked up to a dead tree and like had a staple gun with you and just started like attaching the fruit to the dead tree and said, look, a healthy tree, that'd be nonsense, right? We all know it. Um, putting fruit on a dead tree does not make that tree alive. Um, the tree derives its life from where it's rooted not from the fruit itself. The fruit just shows the life. Um, and so this is a great application um, of what we read right at the beginning of the Psalms, right? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Jesus draws a parallel between our abiding in him, drawing our life from him, and his words abiding in us. Uh, again, that's in verse uh, I thought that was in verse nine. Verse seven: "If you abide in me and my words abide in you." And then verse 10, if you keep my commandments. Um, he draws this parallel between where we draw our life from and our capacity to obey his commandments. And that's this connection between joy and obedience. Where are we getting our life from? Where is meaning and significance coming from in our life? And how does that play into our capacity uh, to obey his commandments? Um, you know, think again about obedience and joy. And why is it that we tend not to put those two things together? I think, you know, on the one hand, all of us have areas in our lives where we struggle to obey, right? We find ourselves confessing the same sin again and again and again. Um, and it's really easy for guilt to steal in and to squelch our joy. But, but then on the other hand, I think also all of us have other areas of our lives where we are pretty good at obeying, but where we know that that obedience is motivated much more by pride and by fear. Um, so it's fragile. It's unsustainable. And, and pride and fear are pretty incompatible with joy also. Um, how does Jesus help us with this? Um, these last few verses. 
Verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's not just abiding in him. He amplifies it here. He helps us. He says, abide in my love, which is the love of the Father being poured into the world. Um, I put on the front of the bulletin the quote from Richard Lovelace um, that we refer to a lot, um, but, but I think this is, this is what it's getting at. Lovelace says, the faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love, instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from other sources, is actually the root of holiness. What he's saying there, what Jesus is saying here, um, is that when our faith is such that we can derive our sense of self-worth and significance from God's love from us, which is unchanging, which is constant, which never fails, um, rather than seeking to steal it from, from other sources. That is actually where the capacity to obey begins. That is the point at which, as Psalm 78 puts it, we begin to set our hope on God, right? And we remember his works, the ways that he has taken care of us, and then we're able to obey his commandments. That's the order of things in Psalm 78. Um, you know, love... Um, I mentioned when I, when I asked, like, did anybody, you know, put joy and obedience together? I said, there might be one exception, and it has to do with love. Here, here's, here's the one exception that I can think of. Um, we have a lot of talented musicians in this room. Um, we had two of them up here earlier tonight. Um, a lot of talented musicians, that's got to be the understatement of the year, uh, especially given that the year's only eight days old. Um, but if you're a musician... Uh, and I say, where do you experience joy? You might have thought of playing your instrument, right? And when I said, where do you experience obedience? You might have thought of playing your instrument. That might be the place where those come together because, because any musician, in order to acquire the skill of being an excellent musician, has to submit themselves to a lot uh, of practice, uh, to a lot of theory, to a reality. This is how the instrument works. It doesn't work otherwise. Um, you have to obey that reality. Um, and, and, and over time, as you become more skillful and you're able to play, you know, almost by second nature, you know, as it were, it's not that you've stopped obeying. It's that you've acquired the freedom to obey effortlessly and to begin to improvise, Right? Um, and if that's true of something like music, which is a good, good thing that God has made, um, but which points beyond itself to the goodness of the one who made it, how much more true would that be of keeping God's commandments? Um, this gives us some sense of why Augustine said to God in the Confessions, he said, Lord, in your service, there's perfect freedom. There is one really important difference between 
the example that I just gave of the musician who practices and obeys for love of the music, right? And what Jesus says here, because Jesus doesn't say, you need to abide in your love for me. He says, abide in my love for you. In order that my joy will be in you. And if you want to see his love, you look at his joy. Because Hebrews 12 says this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What joy is that talking about? The joy set before him, he endured the cross. We know from everything we've read in John that Jesus' great joy is to do the will of his Father and to glorify his Father, right? But how, how do you glorify the Almighty God? How do you add to the glory of the Almighty Creator God? Jesus actually tells us right here. I kind of skipped over this. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus' joy is to see you rooted in him. Jesus' joy is to see you bearing much fruit and so proving to be his disciples. That brings glory to his Father, which brings joy to the Son. Let me just ask one more time, where are you rooted? Where do you draw your life? Where do you abide? How can joy and obedience come together for you in order that you'll bear fruit and your joy may be full? Let me just close with these words from William Cooper, a poem he wrote. This is the last stanza. He says, To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Let's pray.